Hello, this is Joshua Bell from The Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from January 24th. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm sorry, Mark. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. I invite you to pull your Bibles out at home and follow along as we read aloud. After we read these scriptures. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. May God bless the reading of God's partial reading of his word. Amen. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the midst of this time in my life, I find myself uh, in, a, in a doctor of ministry class talking about Hebrew Bible prophets and those that proclaim the word of God to the people in such a way that um, allows them to hear it, maybe to act upon it and, and change their actions and their words. It just so happens that our lectionary text, which I chose to use today, happens to come from a passage in the Gospel of Mark. And as all of you know, the Gospel of Mark and I are, have a long, bitter battle with one another. And I love this passage of Scripture because it's so simple. In the midst of this conversation, you'll, you'll automatically be uncomfortable with the translation that I used where it says, follow me and I will make you fish for people because the world has said for so long, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's just a generic term, I'm aware, and, but the translation... Translation from Greek into English is much more inclusive than what we usually say. Not that I have an issue with this, it's just that something I want to bring our attention to. There's the other aspect of this passage of Scripture that talks about the kind of the, the weirdness of it. Here are these people that are in the midst of their job, and Jesus just happens to be coming, walking by him them and says, Hey, whatever you're doing, just stop what you're doing and come and follow me. And for some reason, they do it. They just stop what they're doing and come and follow them. I, I've always had this image where <clears throat> when Peter calls uh, uh, Andrew and Simon, they, like they literally leave the boat in the water with all of their stuff inside of it, and they just go and follow Jesus. Now, in our world, that wouldn't happen. I mean, you know, I mean, you got to put the boat on the trailer. You got to, you got to put all your tackle up. You, you got to make sure that somebody in the house 
knows where all of the stuff is that you spent all this money on attaining to go fishing. For some reason or another, Simon and Andrew did not care about that, which is weird because it's their livelihood. They they don't think of fishing like we do as a, a recreational thing. This is how they supported their whole families. This is how they supported their community. In our world, somebody not being able to go fishing is just a sad day, not a bad one. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this sermon on purpose because even in the midst of this, I have lots of friends that love to go fishing. I, I love to go fishing. I just never remember to go. <laughs> uh, it, you get to this point in your life where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go fishing, and then something pops up, and then you forget, and I know that... For some of you, that's, that's more of a sin than me not going fishing, that I forgot to go fishing. But the questions that this raises for us is, what is this gospel? How is it still significant now that the proclaimer has been proclaimed? This is extremely amazing how this works. I want you all to think about in your past or in your life, those moments where you, at the a drop of a hat, decided to make a decision that was life-altering. I remember very carefully that that decision was the minute I met my wife. Now, if you hear this story, most of the time I elaborate and exaggerate to a point where it really is just absolutely absurd. Truth was is that I knew the minute I met my wife that she and I were going to be together forever. I, I remember it very distinctly. We were in marching band at Southwestern, and <clears throat> my mom and dad had always told me that when it was the person that God had brought into my life, I would know. I would know in my heart as well as in my mind. And then my mom used to say that it was like a lightning bolt that struck her in the top of her head and her life made sense. But I finally understood when I met Carmen. My mom also said that I should marry someone that would be able to put up with me and put me in my place. I had no idea that I would marry that distinct exact person. I I had all of these dreams, you see. When I went to college, I was going to go to Broadway. I was going to go do all of these things on stage. I had not planned on being married. I had not planned on having children. What I had planned on was very selfish and self-gratifying. And in the midst of it, I met my wife in marching band, and she stands up, and she's a very quiet person, you see. And Dr. South had invited us to introduce ourselves, and so my wife stands up. She says, my name's and I live in Buffalo. And of course, being the smart aleck that I am, I said, from where? Coca-Cola, Oklahoma. We can't hear you. You've got to speak louder. I know. And, and I just kept going and going in front of the whole band. And it was right after that introduction that she came up and punched me in my arm. I knew at that moment my life was going to be different. Did my decision lead to good results is the question that we should always ask ourselves. And I think about this quite 
often because if it hadn't have happened at that moment that I knew that I had found my soulmate, I would have never been in ministry. I would have never had two beautiful children. I would have never been able to finish college. I would have never done the things I've done in my existence. So yeah, I would say that my decision led to good results. The weird thing about being married is that I've followed in my existence that same exact feeling when I talk about calling. It's no circumstance that people refer to the church as the bride of Christ. I knew it took me a little while, you see, but it, I knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life serving God. In the same way, when Carmen punched me, I knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. Now, it, for those of you that are listening that are worried about it just because she punched me, no, I, God has to talk to me sometimes by drop-kicking me in order for me to hear God's calling. I'm a little stubborn, I would say. I don't think I could have been like Simon and Andrew and leave everything that I had behind and go and follow Jesus at that exact moment. But somehow, Simon and Andrew knew exactly in the same way that I did, that when you say, I'm going to come and follow you, that everything from your past is gone. Everything from that moment forward, this is how you glorify God. You learn later on that these disciples had family obligations. And you find out that they were probably pictured as prosperous enough to own houses, and obviously wealthy enough to hire people to come work with them on the boat like James and John. They had people that could take care of these things. <clears throat> Mark also does this interesting thing with the Greek when he uses the word euthos, which means at once, without delay, they get up and go. Why did they do this? There must have been something divinely compelling in the Savior's guileless countenance that pertinent persons just by merely seeing him, could trust who he was. You know, it's, it's different than maybe what we think of when we think calling or listening to this moment, this gut-wrenching lightning strike experience. It's not like they were walking along and the circus came in and they said, I've joined the circus, but I'll be back next Christmas to their family. This was a life-altering decision that they knew that they had to make. Something about Christ brought them closer to the divine. Something about Christ attracted people to follow him even in 2021. How in the world would anybody want to follow Christians today, you might ask? Gosh, 
if you listen to the media and if you listen to Facebook and, you know, even in people's conversations, it makes it really hard and frustrating for people to diminish your calling as if it's just a one hour a week gig. I, I can't even begin to tell you when people are actually being serious, when they look at you in the face and they say, you know, preacher, I know you're not doing anything, so why don't you just stop what you're doing and come and, and help me do this? And I say, well, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to visit a family member or in, in the church that's needing assistance. And they're like, oh, really? I, I didn't even know you had office hours. And then I think, okay, as a preacher, I, I have to have big shoulders. But then I find those people that are doing things that they feel called to and the ways that people discuss and diminish those as well. There's an agency here in town that I think sometimes doesn't necessarily get the limelight that it should, and that is Operation Blessing. And I'm not trying to make Luant Hunt a, a, a saint, but she, she is one. She does all kinds of this stuff for the community all week long, hours upon hours. And Operation Blessing does all kinds of things for our community. And some way, somehow... When you ask them why they do this, oh, I forgot to mention that most of the volunteers, all of the volunteers, are there for free. <laughs> when you ask them why they do it, it's they said, we felt like it was something that God called us to do. And then, and then you have these really beautiful discussions with them. Why is it that we volunteer for things that are philanthropic? If I'm being totally honest with you, it's selfish reasons. It's for us to find a, a sense of peace in the midst of chaos. I can't fix the world, but I can help this person. Now, my argument has been and will continue to be until the day I die, that the reason that we do things is because we have decided to be images of Christ in the world. And Christ did everything for everyone with every breath that he took. There was no question that we should feed the hungry. There was no question to him, you see, that we should clothe the naked. There was no question to visit those that were sick and imprisoned. It was not Jesus' job to do it for everyone. It was all of our job to do it for any. So I ask you again, when was the last time that you remember the reason for following Christ? What have you left behind in order to follow him? Is your boat still sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee? Unattended? Do you even remember what the boat looked like? I, I don't. I, I honestly can't remember my life before Carmen. And definitely not my life before I was called into ministry. You see, I'm not telling you these things to say that I'm a good example. I think a lot of times I probably am more like Peter than I want to admit. I think there's a lot of times that I'm rather too compassionate in the ways that I speak about things or 
write about things or even work with things. Because I just don't understand if we're here to offer peace and love and compassion, why would anybody want to turn that away? I get so frustrated with church today in the sense of making it as easy as possible to follow Jesus so that we have these lukewarm existences calling ourselves Christians, but really what we are is we're a part of some sort of stupid social club that puts Jesus on our t-shirts. We have been called to something bigger and grander than anything that we can remember. So why would you give it all up? Why would you want to water down your understanding of God? Andrew, James, John, Simon, they left everything behind to go and follow Christ. And yet, we struggle with logging on one hour a week. We struggle as a culture volunteering just a couple hours a month for anything. It's not just I that have been called in the name of Christ. It is all those that profess Jesus as their Savior, the Son of the living God, and have chosen to walk in the footsteps of someone greater than ourselves. So yeah, I get a little animated, I get a little frustrated, and yes, yes, of course, Mark does it to me yet once again that we find this place where Jesus calls his first disciples, and in an energetic voice, I want to scream from the bottom of my soul, now let us go and do likewise. So, in this moment, we're gathered all over the world. And we ask that God would guide us as we come and follow Christ. But I feel like we should pray. If for no other reason to ask God for strength to leave our boats on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Let's pray. We hear you calling God of all of the ages. In this season of life where so much seems to be in turmoil and confusion, we hear you calling even as your early disciples heard Jesus calling them. Follow me, he says. I will make you fishers of people. We are here today eager to respond to your call out of the past and into the new world which is being birthed. But God, we really would like for you to grant us assurance that you will walk with us. Reminding us of the gospel of John when he says he will not leave us orphaned as we point our faces to your realm of wholeness and holiness. And even as we continue to seek the one who is the light of life, Jesus, the Christ, 
We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.